welcome back to another episode of Dial Up Dudes, the podcast for those on the cusp of a midlife crisis and can't decide whether to run off with that hotter, younger model or to remain in that loveless marriage with the kids. <laughs> or you're here and sitting and pondering on, on the big choices in life. Let's take you back to an easier time, a different time, a time when J.R. Hartley was alive and well and looking for books on fly fishing in the yellow pages rather than worrying about how he's going to survive on a government pension now that he's blown his retirement funds on his OnlyFans subscription. And today, I'm joined by the amazing Jim Dolan. Little known fact, Jim once made a living as a celebrity lookalike for Guy Fieri, but these days, he's much more Paul Hollywood than Holly Weird. Am I right? Jim, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks, mate. <laughs> That's uh, that... <laughs> What an intro. Can we end it there? <laughs> what a fantastic intro! Look, if I'm being compared to Paul Hollywood, that's that's fine. That that you know, blue-eyed, steely-haired god of a man is a uh, is you know a very very classic. I had comparison. a story. I had a story about Paul Hollywood that he can do like six thousand um, push-ups a day. No, 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 absolutely true. That's why he's so barrel barrel chested. Look, I've I've seen the guy's <laughs> muscular wrists muscular wrists as he's rolling dough on the counter. So I can I couldn't believe it. Um, the, the, the other voice you're hearing to hearing to the other voice you're listening to today is, of course, Mr. Robert Bish. Rob's one of my best men at my wedding, and I've known him for a very long time. I've seen him evolve from the kind of guy who got so drunk he hopped over what he thought was a fence, but was actually uh, a barrier above a jetty. So after plummeting 15 feet and landing in a heap, <laughs> he looked up at us and said, I didn't realise it was that high. But from that man to a very well-rounded individual, he's a father, he's a husband. And at my stag do, he actually said, I'm really sorry if the jokes are going too far, Jim. The evolved man that is Robert Bish. Hello, buddy. Hello, how are you doing? Thank you for the nice intro. It brings back horrible flashbacks of me almost breaking my legs. But, you know, it was a good night, that was. That is the same night that I actually rested my head on your neighbour's lap. And looked him in the eyes. And he never came round again. <laughs> he never came round again. <laughs> <laughs> what did we drink that night? Was it like peach and whiskey? It was uh, Kia Royales. Yeah, Kia Royales. That was it, yeah. And so now I'm going to introduce the person that introduced the show. And that's David, standing in at six foot ten and weighing at seven stone, is Ooh, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From the main streets of East London to Club Lick, you want to meet, you want to meet a nicer gentleman that he invented a time machine to kill Hitler, but instead to invest in KFC. David's ring. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Me also, me and Dave also had once had an eating competition and who could eat a, um, a bucket of KFC and whoever lost had to eat a, a wet wipe. Um, one of the hand things, and I lost and I had to eat it. <laughs> Do you remember that day? Yeah. You know what? I think we were both winners that day, to be honest with you. Like when I ate meat. Like, winners, yeah. I just realised, I think we're in danger of like sounding like this is a men behaving badly podcast. I have to, I have to stress, we are all actually quite grown up now and our lives are fairly mundane. Yeah, absolutely, mate, yeah. I did the washing up this morning, that was about as good as my life gets at the moment. <laughs> so today I want to talk about a subject which is on everybody's lips. <laughs> yeah, not nobody's lips. But also it's important because at the same time, if you fail to do it, will come with a thousand pound fine and that is the UK census uh, so for those who don't know the census is a registry carried out by the UK government every 10 years to gather information on its population demographics and other seemingly meaningless stuff the first um, modern UK census was carried out in 1801 which was mainly for headcount purposes and allowing the government to realize its resources when it comes to cannon fodder and knowing how much stuff to need such as the crops for the population 
So first and foremost, Jim, uh, what's your view on it? Is it a route towards total totalitarian state or is it a natural necessity in a civilised society? Well, look, I think if the census is carried out independently to, to gather information on the population, how we can adapt to, to the needs. Yeah, that's great. But it's conducted by a government that I have absolutely no trust in whatsoever. And I, my husband, Pete, filled it out and I said, oh, did you put down that I'm gay on it? And he was like, yeah, of course I did. And I was like, yeah, but now they know we're gay. They know where we are. When it becomes like a, you know, a, a Viva Vendetta style state, they're going to hunt us down. Mind you, they'd know anyway from the marriage registry. But um, look, seriously, I think it's in the right hands it, for the right reasons. It's a good thing because, yeah, you can you can adapt services for things for people. But in the wrong hands, it's just a scary prospect for me. Sorry, that sounds really dark. No, I, I, feel, I feel the same personally. I think it's I, I don't I kind of understand where they're coming from with it, trying to find their demographic and trying to find these demographic and talking about. But I didn't understand half the questions, why they needed to ask some of them. They're quite some of them were a bit strange. I'd like to know what they needed to know some of them questions. And I was like, I was, I was doing it and I was I was at work and I was doing it because um, my wife sent me the link. She robbed completely this. And I was doing it and I thought, what is this I'm doing? Did they actually know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like totally in the uh, totally in the dark bed. I was like, I, I had to read up, and I was like, I was like outraged. I was like, what am I filling these questions in for? Why do these people need to know this? But yeah, I don't have no trust in them. I think they're gonna, you know, line us all up when they <laughs> burn all my books. Well, you say that. I was looking back um, at the census. Obviously, I did a bit of research for this, and 1991 saw the introduction of ethnic groups as part of the questions being asked. And it's only like 30 years later now we're seeing questions on. Know, sexual orientation which is like more than 50 years after the legalization of uh, homosexuality so you know i know that a lot of people have been pushing for the importance of this especially when it comes to uh, your representation you know we are we are human beings we want to be represented and we want you know people to recognize that we exist so and obviously one other point i noticed as well this year is the first time uh, they actually including um birth assigned gender following the campaign so what's what's your view on the importance of you no know, inclusion? Inclusion wise, you know, I think like I said earlier, right, you've got to adapt public services to the the people who are in the public. And you need to know that that certain things um have changed. Like for instance, there will be, if you did the census now compared to uh 20 years ago, there will be a lot more gay men, right? And that's not because <laughs> contrary to popular opinion or unpopular opinion it's not because being gay has become a trendy thing or anything like that it's the fact that you know half the generation isn't being wiped out by a killer disease that no one cared about All right so we're in a very different place and you have to see as well that the adapt adapting society to cater for you know you just mentioned trans people um that needs to happen you know things like the whole argument going on with um you know uh the whole stupid thing about toilets, man. Who goes into a toilet to do anything other than two things? And those two things are number one and number two. Who goes in for any other reason? So I think you know you do need to you do need to know these things and adapt. I don't know, Jim. I've seen them. some special movies with some special toilets in it before, with little holes on <laughs> <at> the side. <laughs> I can send you a link later, Dave. If it's, uh, yeah. It's not for viewers' ears or eyes. But or... also, like, um, you know, not to oh. just keep it down, down down, one track in terms of, like, my, quote, special interest of my community, but knowing about different ethnicities as well means you've got to cater, make sure the services cater for those people's requirements. Knowing about people's disabilities need, you know, makes you realise, actually, we need to up our game in terms of accessibility um, and all that kind of stuff. 
and I know the government talks about leveling up the playing field, whether you believe them or not is, is irrelevant. You need to know which populations are you know, financially more well off than others and see where you need to invest. So if you've got certain communities, you know, it's well known that um, people of black, Asian and minority ethnic backgrounds often ha um, have worse health uh, generally in the public because they live in these conditions that aren't as, as great, not on the whole, but, you know, if you were to round up as averages. So people need to realise this and actually investment needs to go into those areas. You know, you know like Tower Hamlets, you know, that's, that's the area of big minority population. That probably needs a lot more investment to help those local people than say where I'm living right now. I don't you think it's strange that they can't just see that from what's happening from you know general areas. Like I'm not being no. funny. You don't think so because you can't tell no, by food banks see... and community hubs and stuff like that. But but that, that, this thing, what you only see as far as your own two eyes can see, unless That's someone brings yeah. you the information. And this is a way of bringing the information. I think it's just sometimes I think it's tick box exercising. I think to make themselves a nice little report. To go off of probably <laughs> <laughs> so do you do you feel that you know obviously with the knowledge that which is um has been gathered from the census that actually progress has been made in terms of you know um amenities and accessories that you know different cu um, cultures and demographics uh, have i personally don't i think protest works better than this kind of thing because the government can take the data but they don't necessarily have to do anything with it you know they make pledges and this isn't just this one every election they will make pledges around you know oh yeah we know that these communities need investment and you know this transport in the northwest needs to be sorted out it never gets done does it no well, if, they, if they can't invest in the nhs and the nurses they won't invest in anything simple as that they'll make that they basically will cover it up with a nice lick of paint they'll give certain little projects money they go and it'll be in the news and then when they be funding all the other people who don't need it anymore simple as that simple as that well, also like the census is only as good as the data we put into it and i remember not the last sentence but the one before all the start you know that like, the new star wars movies had started coming out and yeah. every everyone every plonker including me put down their religion as jedi <laughs> just to fuck <laughs> with the census <laughs> so how, how closely are you following your religion then jim are you um Mate, I'm levitating things with my mind. I'm strangling people with my mind. It's brilliant. That's Makes good loads know, of sandwiches it? with his mind. Who <laughs> knows now? So obviously we've come a long way in the type of questions that have been asked um, in the census. For example, in 1871, there's an option of whether there was an imbecile, idiot, or lunatic in the residence. <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> believe it or not. How, 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 how would you, you answer look at that now? When you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Say again, Rob. I said, why did you look at me when you said that? <laughs> so what I'm going to come to you with is what sort of things would you like to see on the census for thir um, 31? 31? In yeah. the future? 2031, the next one. Have you got a flying car? That'd be a good question. Um, maybe, uh, I think maybe it would be able to do with like being a greener planet somehow. Like if people can afford like electric cars and how their household operates and they can afford that to see if we can support people to kind of move on into that kind of kind of way to make it a better living situation for people that's just me being a green kind of person i'd like that to be one of the things i don't know what else i'd like though because i don't really know how that some questions can improve people's lives depends like what if it's like what you what you want to see or what's realistic because i think the government frames things and again it's not just this one but they all frame questions in such a way that um 
they'll get the answers that they want or they won't get things they don't want. So, you know, people have been pushing for proportional representation for some time and they're just ignoring it. That's the question I'd want to see on the census is like, are you happy with the electoral process? Or would you like to see proportional representation? But they're never going to ask that because it suits them. And in fact, I think they've just changed it, haven't they? So local elections have now moved to first past the post and so is mayoral elections. So they're constantly trying to screw the system for themselves. Yeah, they're doing it to, you know, gain themselves up a hand somehow. And I don't know how, but they are. Ways is. So throughout humankind, man has inflicted on himself war upon war. The English Civil War, Vietnam War, World War II. But from the mid-80s to the mid-90s, there was only one war on the lips of every teenager, and that was a console war. Sega versus Nintendo. And that's all we'll be discussing today after this advert. So we're back. Growing up as a kid, um, there was always a massive debate as to which brand had the superior console, as with Sony and Microsoft and the PlayStation and Xbox nowadays. So for top of the discussion, I want to focus on the third, fourth generation of consoles, such as Super NES or the NES Master System and Mega Drive era. So before we get started, Rob. Yes. Was it Nintendo or Sega for you? Sega. Sega Mega Drive. Yeah. Oh, just... I could talk about this all day long. I could, honest to God, it was absolutely my favourite thing. And as you probably guys know, I kind of collect all of them, don't I? As well, so I've got I've got a lot of um, um, Mega Drive games. The reason I like the Mega Drive over Sega and Nintendo more, just that kind of has the games are more violent, more adultish, and that was always just an appealing to me as a comic book fan. And um, I think you know the Nintendo was more kind of towards kind of the Japanesey kind of games. And I still like that, don't be wrong, but I was never rich enough to have, be able to afford both of them. So I always headed towards kind of the Mega Drive. And you could ch- also, I learned to chip it so I could get all the imports and stuff like that as well. <laughs> I remember growing up with you, Rob, and I used to come around your house quite a lot. And you obviously had the Mega CD, didn't you? The Sega yeah. CD. Yeah. And I remember like, play, spending like many, many years just playing like um, Sensible Soccer on there and, yeah. and Streets of Rage, all the, all the classics that were you know, around at the time. Yeah, the Splatterhouse. We used to play Splatterhouse, and we um, and we and we, me and Dave used to do these. We we used to like have lots of posters on my wall, and we'd play like competitions, and whoever won gets the poster. <laughs> and some of them were really good posters as well. I was like, oh no, and Dave always beat me. Always beat me as well. <laughs> Come around your house and beat you in your own yeah, house. Yeah, my own games. <laughs> so how about you, Jim? Um, what were you side of the fence? I was Commodore sixty four. He's gone rogue. He's gone rogue. <laughs> no, look, look I, I, I remember. So, I mean, we we, uh, we 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 didn't have a huge amount of money when I was a kid. But by the time we got around to getting a, a console, uh, my, my brother got a Master System one year, and I thought it was pretty pants. And eventually, we got a SNES, um, which which I loved. And I, I I get where you're coming from, Rob, with the um, the Mega Drive games. Did it always seem a bit more grown up and a bit more serious whereas the nintendo ones were kind of like more fun and cartoony but for me at the time it was all about nintendo like i remember like the the sort of rivalry you had and it was mostly not just like uh it was was mostly like the console but it was also like the handhelds so you'd have like tetris versus columns yeah amazing and the argument with the Game Boy being like, oh, it's in black and white and the Game Gear is in colour. And that was the argument. I, was, I remember being on the side of the fence of, doesn't matter that it's in colour because the games are better on the Nintendo. Because actually Super Mario on, on the Game Boy was immense. Like you could play that game for hours, man. It was so good. Yeah. But yeah, it was like, um, you'd have like Columns versus Tetris. You'd have Sonic versus Mario. 
and then you kind of had Mortal Kombat versus um, Street Fighter. Even though, yes. even though, like you could get them on both. Like I think it almost felt like Nintendo was the sort of Street Fighter console, and uh, Mega Drive was the, um, Mortal, Kombat. Was the Mortal Kombat one. So. I mean, I remember at the time, like if I was around someone else's house, I'd play whatever. But for me, I was a, a Nintendo kid. But don't, don't, Make... you, don't, you, don't you remember, like, um, you, you, like, you was talking to your friends and they were talking about, like, Mortal Kombat. And they were like, did you know you could rip the bloke's skull out and then stamp on it? Or yeah, the, special, the like, fatalities no and the special, no way. It's a special fatalities. Moves. The fatalities were amazing and it was a massive selling factor for that. But uh, in terms of, like, Mortal Kombat, for the Mega Drive, um, they had, you had the code where you could actually punch in and get the blood, where Nintendo didn't have the blood. Yeah. yeah. Also, you know, it was a massive selling point for the, the game itself on those particular formats. It was, a clever, it was a clever route to go on there, wasn't it? Because, you know, the Nintendo went down the family route. I don't know if there was any kind of adultish games on Nintendo. There was a, quite a lot of fighting games. But Mega Drive was kind of, okay, then we're going to go a bit more grown-up-ish, teenish And it's good because they kind of have their own, you know, their, their own kind of people to kind of go towards. So it was a good way of like at making people buy both consoles, wasn't it? If you think about it, you had this kind of like, you know, family friendly one and you had this kind of adultish one. It was a bit more like yeah. a, an old video nasty or something. That I was going to say it was in, in the video nasty area as well, era well, as well, <laughs> yeah. wasn't it? Like, but also I think the Nintendo um, was the fun factor and Sega was the cool factor. Do you remember the Sega adverts? Um, the get a cyber razor cut, and there's a guy who's strapped yeah. into the chair. And then you've got yeah. like the the kind of um, Pat, what's his name, Patrick Moore style games master eyepiece, yeah. and then like <laughs> he, kind of went, he kind of went like cybernetic and stuff in the advert. Yeah. And it was such a cool ad. And even though I was a Nintendo kid, I was just like, this advert is the coolest. Yeah, they were they were they were fantastic them adverts, and it's funny though because I was looking at some of my Mega Drive games the other day actually, and I was looking at the prices of them, and like one of them on it was like fifty one pounds. I was like, I was like, hang on a sec, we paid like fifty pounds now for PS four games, you know, or PS five games. So they were really expensive back then. So how did anyone ever afford it? I don't know. Well, that's probably why we didn't get a console until I was quite older. Um, yeah, yeah. It was it was a very it was a premium thing for sure. Do you oh, do you yeah. not think it's a bit sad? Um, and I say this as like I was like I said I was Team Nintendo, but it seems like a sad fall from grace that now the only time you really see Sega is when it's selling its own games to Nintendo. Yeah, that isn't. That is sad, isn't it? It's, they still kind of, you know, they still kind of make kind of some stuff, I think, you know, but I just think, I just don't think they could keep up with all of it for some reason. I think they went more into kind of just the games instead of the well, consoles. Xbox and PlayStation, didn't it, kind of took yeah, over. And yeah. it, it, it seems sad to me just because in my head, even though I was one side, I feel like they were equals and it's like it does feel like it's a it's kind of like a fallen hero thing it's like yeah, a fall yeah. from grace i didn't even think about it because the nintendo was white and the mega drive was black so it's pure black and white and the systems as well so they totally went two different they went two down like different pieces <laughs> i think it all fell apart i think when they like was it sega saturn and the dreamcast oh shit yeah man that was yeah that was... yeah Dark times. <laughs> even mega, even the mega CD wasn't fantastic. I remember like no. playing um, night trap. Like, brilliant, yeah, that night trap. You know, it, it was like you had to wait about an hour for one of the scenes to load, and you're like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and it'd be like three seconds. You're like, that was amazing. Do you not think <laughs> it was almost like it got caught up in the whole um, DVD versus laser disc type thing, and basically Sega just went down the wrong kind of route? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even oh, Nintendo yeah. didn't do amazing during that time. I think Nintendo trod water for a while. You know, GameCube wasn't wasn't great, was it? Let's be honest. Like, but you, still, you still had Mario Kart and stuff like that in the game. Yeah, yeah and, and that's the thing. They, they yeah. carried them through. So the N64 yeah. and the GameCube, I don't think they were great consoles, but they trod water enough that they managed to keep a, a foothold in the market. And now they've got really lucky because the Wii did pretty well. And now, obviously, they've got the Switch. And so they found their niche, which is kind of still what they did traditionally, which is the more you know fun, cartoony, kid-type games. And they've got into yeah. the fitness market. But there's still no major competitor compared to... Um, xbox and ps no, yeah they're just five now i guess they're like they're like um you know the kind of amazon of the gaming world don't they really you know but can you guys can you guys can you give me two of your favorite games from your consoles you had when you're younger i loved alex a kid in miracle world i know it came with the console but i love that game that was well. a wicked game and also oh there's so many you got like streets of rage 2 golden axe micro machines which Do you guys remember nation in that game, he's like these two dudes walking around shooting aliens. You just go to the store and they pop up on the cannons and you electrify them and stuff like that. That was a really good game for Mega Drive as well. That was fantastic. No one ever talks about it though, but I loved it. Loved it a lot. <laughs> what about you, Jim? Um, I mean, I think the all-out classic that is, is stereotypical and it's obvious, but Street Fighter. Just yeah. honestly loved Street Fighter. Oh, I, thought, yeah. I thought it was the best game. Do you know, I hate Street Fighter. Dave, I hate him because he beat me all the time. And he beat me all the time. And I practiced so much and I could never beat him. And then one day I beat him and I refused to play it ever again. And I don't think I've ever played it again. <laughs> That's just like Dexter. <laughs> but um, talking about games and getting beaten, what was a game that made you rage quit, which really brought out the worst in you? And the reason why I asked that for is I'm looking back now and my mum used to work in a video shop. So, you know, you get so many free games to rent. And um, we had this game called Pit Fighter. <laughs> I remember that. Worst game. Remember my brother, my big brother at the time, he's playing a game. I think he got stuck at a level and he's ripped the cartridge out while playing and threw it across the room. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, obviously, some games bring out the worst. And Dexter, thank God he can't collect cartridges now because, you know, he he goes into quite a few um, rages every now and again when he gets, like, you know, beaten on FIFA. How old is he? he? He's 12 now. Uh, so he's around that sort of, t- that sort of age where I was. Yeah. Um, but it's think, hilarious to see, even though I should The thing with Pit Fighter, Dave, is, is if you got pushed into the crowd, the crowd would beat you up. So you got stuck in the crowd there. Everyone's beating you up, but you couldn't move. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? One thing I'll say about those cartridges, I know we've moved forward in terms of technology, but they're way more durable than any disc-based game that's come since. Like those cartridges now, if they don't, you, know, you can put, I've got a, um, a Game Boy in the loft. And if you plug the cartridge in and it goes a bit blurry like it did back then, you do exactly the same thing as you always did. You pull it out, <laughs> blow on the thing, put it back in, and it works. It well, just did you, works. Did you guys hear about the Atari, the ET Atari games? They buried loads of them in the desert. And then so, I think someone dig them up or something and like, clean them all up, and they, some of them worked still. They were buried alive. That's awesome. Buried <laughs> alive. ET to go home. But so yeah, going back to the question on that rage quitting, uh, what were the games that for you that really um, frustrated the hell out of you? Oh, me, I think definitely when you used to play the competition against um, Sensible Soccer, because they were always used to beat you, and Micro Machines competition, because I always used to fall off the table. I just go nuts. <laughs> that was a nuts game. about it. <laughs> well, he's oh, me. Like, a dreaded guy. Was, it, was his name Jericho? I may be making it up. The, the guy with the dreads. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the driver, yeah. He's mm. incredible. <laughs> How about you, Jim? Uh, for me, 
it, it's a Game Boy game. Um, it's the Batman game. Did you ever play that? Yeah, I did. I loved it. It was so, so hard, hard because yeah. you you basically kind of you get these narrow passages like going up, not not walking down, like going upwards, and you'd have to kind of jump, wouldn't you? You'd have to jump from one side over to the other side, over to the other side, over to the other side, and then you'd have to throw your kind of grappling hook at just the right point to catch yeah. something to swing, and if you missed it you fell and died. So it was one of those things where you had to try it over and over and over. And you know, like some games, like at the moment I'm playing God of War and there's some levels that you just keep dying, but it's fine because yeah. you die into the level. This was just one stupid little section that you just got stuck on. And you're like, why can I not enjoy this game a bit more and come back to this later? And I think that's actually one of the follies of all the old games. If you got stuck somewhere, that's it. You're just stuck. They didn't well, have the, worlds that yeah. you could explore. You just stuck where you are. It's, it's all sequencing, wasn't it? So you had to, it was like jump, jump, jump. And you had to jump at the right point. And it was all like, and the characters all moved in sequence. And I think, and that's why I think people used to get so frustrated because if you couldn't be an impatient gamer back then, you had to be patient because you had to wait your, your chance to take that kind of, you know, moment to a chance. And that yeah, is, you, you, if you want to, if you want to run through a game, you can, you go, sort this bit. I'm going to go this down this alley or but, this alley. But also a point that kind of on top of what you're saying there, save points. The fact you had to get yeah. save points <laughs> in games. So yeah. if you didn't get to the exact point where you could save, that's it. You're stuffed. So well, it, kind of, it, was good, it was a good, it was almost like a good marketing thing, wasn't it? Because it got you obsessed with the game. Because you're like, do you remember how many times would your mum go, oh, it's dinner time or yeah, you've got to clean your room. You'd be like, I've just got to finish this. Yeah. I've just got yeah. to finish this. Because like, you had to, because if you didn't, all the work you put into it was for nothing. You know, know what, Jim, speaking about that, like, this day and age, like, all games, my son, are live. He's playing with people, you know, elsewhere. And he's like, in a minute, in a minute is never in a minute. It's always like half an hour now because, you know, you can't, you can't pause the live game. And oh, yeah. that's the frustration. Fortnite. What's that, Rob? Fortnite. Things like Fortnite and stuff like that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You can't. So I, I don't know. I have to think back to a lot when I was his age. Like, how, how was I when I was playing a game? And yeah, you're always like stretching those minutes out until your mum comes at the door. And you, like, could put, you could pause it though, but the majority of the time they would crash after a certain amount of time because it mm. couldn't handle it. But with it, but you must guys remember though, with save points with um, Mega Drive, you've got a massive code. So you bought a game secondhand, you go to the back of the book, there'd be loads of codes in the back of the book with all the save points. You're like, what's all this? It's like Arabic. Which brings <laughs> me to actually Games Master. I don't yes. know if you watched it back in the day. Dominic you know? Diamond. Yeah. Patrick oh. Religiously. Yeah. Was it, De was it Felix Dexter? Oh, no. Dexter Fletcher, wasn't it? Dexter Fletcher, De yeah. uh, He took over, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that, was a, that was a great game because obviously the show, because you always like, wait to the end and see what codes gonna, what cheat's going to give Oh, yeah, yeah, you had to record it because it, <laughs> yeah. it like, they, they called it the, the data blast, didn't they? Yeah. So any, anyone who's too young for this, right, Games Master, at the end, it, they, this thing called a data blast, which was basically like a scrolling screen with loads of like codes and cheats and stuff on it. But so you'd have to video it and then obviously you'd have to uh, play it back and pause it. But anyone who knows about VHS back in the day, if you pause a VHS, it doesn't say static. It doesn't freeze frame like DVDs do now. It shakes all over the place. So it was a really, really <laughs> poor idea. It's a really bad, bad, it was, it was a good idea, but it just, the technology did not support it. Oh God, I love that show I did. I absolutely loved it. I used to, I remember you used to watching it and, and you see them like reviewing a game. You were like, I really want that game. And you knew you'd never going to get it. You're like, oh, because they, they used to review Neo Geo games in there as well, didn't they, as well? And Neo Geo was like the expensive um, system, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. What's, what's your overriding memory? Oh, actually, I'm going to tell you mine first and then I'll ask like, what, what your overriding memory of Games Master is. But I just have this one memory and 
it's one of those things that brings out a weird patriotism and i don't like patriotism at all but it was like they were covering a doom um like competition right so people from all over the world who are good at doom got together to play and the final was this english guy and this american guy well this american teenager and the english guy won brexit right yeah brexit (laughs) i'm getting well brexit here no the english guy won and then the american guy was like well actually um my sound cut out halfway through so i think we need to, to, to replay and the English guy was like cool about it. He's like, oh, okay, fine, if that's the case. And they replayed it and the American kid won. And I was like, that's so unfair. That is so <laughs> unfair. That, that, you know, who cares about the sounds, man? It's not like yeah. 3D sound. You don't need it. I'm so blown away Jim remembers that. <laughs> so angry about it still. Actually, he's actually got written on his board next to him. I know people are saying he's actually written Doom in big letters. So. <laughs> I, do, I do have a whiteboard next to me because I'm basically old now. <laughs> mine I forget, i'll never forget i remember it was um it was a sonic the hedgehog competition and it was who could do the first one the fastest and i remember like watching it and i was like and, and, and this person done it so many time and i remember going i remember switching my console on and beating it and i was like oh my god i beat this person who was a champion but then no one cared because i told my mum about <laughs> it so I was like, <laughs> that's the difference as well with nowadays isn't it god we do sound old saying nowadays a lot don't we but anyway yeah, it's the difference like, is that when, when you were good at computer games like in the 90s or whatever no one gave a shit now you can earn a fortune being good at yeah. computer games i oh, know mate one thing i miss about computer games um is that it used to be such a community thing to it you'd have like you, know, you get all your mates come around and you play together obviously everything's done online he's so, so you can stay at home and um, sit in your ass in your underwear and play with your mates. But well, yeah, yeah. You there. it was. Um, you did get a few beers and stuff like that, or a few drinks, and you sit with your friends and you play games right next to each other. They could push each other around and stuff like that. Fun, you know, a bit more physical with kind of the kind of, I suppose, the technology side of things as well. So another favourite game of mine, I don't know if you remember, it was um, movie related. It was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game on the uh, Fun fact, Gosh. they're bringing a new one out and it's exactly the same style. Really? Yeah. On what? On all consoles. It's coming well, out I'll... soon. Fantastic. Jim, that seems to bring up a few memories for you. No, I had I had the version on Commodore 64 and you had to put all of this, you know, you had the really super long codes in the back, like really, really yeah. long codes. And none of them worked. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember it just being torturous because I was like, I want to play this game. I enjoy this game, but like none of these codes work, so I can't ever like reload it. It was a nightmare. What about it didn't work? Strange, isn't it? For they're usually pretty reliable stuff like that. Just but my that, luck. That, uh, that, but that was an arcade game, wasn't it? So you, you go to the seaside and blow all your money on that game. The same. It was the Ninja Turtles game, and it was the um, Simpsons. Simpsons fighting. The Simpsons. Yes. Yeah. Wicked. Yes. <laughs> and you get, uh, now and, we're talking. And you used to put. Well, you, remember, you had the money in the side. You used to put in a and I used to. Oh, I used to play with random people, I did, because I just wanted to win it so much. And you had the wrestling one as well. We did big Royal Rumble. Do you remember that as well? Oh, yes, I yeah. do. I think my brother. I think my brother had that on uh, Master System, maybe. I don't. I don't know. Is that the Master System? It probably was out on something like a like a Commodore or something. But I don't oh, think it was out on the console because I think maybe. it was a Neo. I'm sure, we had that at home. Maybe you had an emulator or something because it was a Neo Geo game, I think. Yeah, an emulator. Me back in nineteen. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. You <laughs> yourself like, in yeah. the gym. <laughs> Maybe I'm just confusing myself with the fact my brother had WWF figures and a, and a, and a ring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So looking back, so what game of the modern era would you like to see back um, back in the day? And on the flip side, which game 
from the past would you like to see brought forward? Well, you could have prepped us for these questions before we recorded. No, that is <laughs> such a difficult question, man. So we're talking about an old game that we'd like to bring into and uh, modernise the game, you mean? It's both yeah. ways, I think you're saying. Both oh, ways. Uh, what's it called? Desert Strike. I'd bring Desert Strike to a modern thing. I think Desert Strike could be amazing. Uh, was it? What, there was three of them. There was Desert Strike. After, what was that? The helicopter Desert game. Storm. Desert Storm or something. I can't remember what they were called. I'd have them. I used to love them. So I'd have that brought modern. Uh, but what and you talk about a modern game brought back into an old yeah. kind of 16 pixel game yeah oh, that's really a good question I like I'm, gonna, I'm gonna answer i'm gonna answer that one and while you're thinking um portal portal in 8-bit would be amazing what an amazing idea i love it i've never I've played puzzle games so i mean for me oh it's, it's brilliant dave like, it's, it's oh, probably it's like tem- tempering with the laws of physics to to solve puzzles it's it's so good and i think that in a retro retro style i think i would have loved that as a kid i would have absolutely loved it um for the other way around what bringing a, a past one into, into the cool, present yeah. cool that's gonna be tough but i think i'd probably go for another puzzle game which is I don't sorry I'm talking the wrong the wrong consoles here, but on Commodore sixty four there was a game that came with it called Split Personalities. Did any of you guys play it? Yeah, I did. No. Yeah. All right, so for Dave's benefit, you know those games where you've got the tiles that you slide around, the physical games. Where there's a tile missing and you slide it around. Yeah. To to make a picture, it's kind of based on that. You've got like famous people's faces and bits come in, and you have to try and get them in the right place. But also things like bombs and stuff come in that will like blow up <laughs> your pieces. So you've got to shift all this stuff around really quickly whilst trying to make a picture. And it, it I just really enjoyed it. I just yeah. like puzzles. Do you know what I'd bring back? I'd bring back. I'd bring God of War back, but as a side scroller, like Street to Rage, but you and your son with like a big axe fighting people. It's- it's kind of basically golden axe anyway, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah, it basically is. But I do, it's like, it's a six, you know, it's a 32 bit, 16 bits kind of looking one. You know, you'd have to pick up like a big roast chicken, like the old Street <laughs> Rage. I always wondered, like, how, you know, I know they were quite big geezers in Street Rage, but how did they eat a whole roast chicken instantly? Well, you were talking about eating a bargain bucket early on, mate. It's doable. Yeah, I didn't eat it with one mouthful, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a good 15 minutes. <laughs> okay, so. I think we've come to the conclusion then. Uh, we're both we're all pretty much Team Sega as opposed to Team Nintendo. Is that right? Besides Commodore sixty or Jimmy Door sixty four? Uh, no, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm t- if I have to pick out the two, it'd be Nintendo for me. I think it's um, a split. I think it's a split. I think you can't. I think they were just so good on both sides. So I think I'll, I'll go with split on this one. I think Dave. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as someone who grew up in a, a Sega household, but I had friends who've had you know Nintendo. I was always jealous of like, Nintendo because like, I think Street Fighter was better on uh, Nintendo as opposed to yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think especially it had it had help that like, it had the six buttons on the Nintendo SNES as opposed to the yep. three on the Mega Drive, which really massively impacted the gameplay for that. Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to go to Team Sega. I think. Well, I'd go Team Sega, but I, I'm, I'm a joint kind of person. I like both of them. I like consoles, so I think it's just, if we go well, so I've, 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 got, I've gone Nintendo. Dave's gone Sega. Rob's gone both, so there you go. It's a it's a split. It's a split. I'm sitting on Re- the right on the fucking fence right now. We're sitting on the fence. And moving on, um, we'll be back after this commercial break. Can't make crinkle cut or straight. Break from the box or on a plate. Try them once and it'll be plain. Four microchips make them McCain quickety quick. Microchips. McCain microchips. Real chips. Crickety quick.
So we all remember those classic storylines of the 1980s and 90s, Coronation Street, EastEnders, and maybe Hollyoaks. But here we have our resident soap correspondent, Peter Scrivener, with a rundown on yesterday's events. Thank you very much, David, and thanks for having me on the show. So um, I don't know if anyone's aware, but there are some digital TV channels which are showing the old classic soaps. Um, so they're showing classic Corey, classic EastEnders, classic Emmerdale. I won't give Emmerdale the time of day. Corey and EastEnders, I do record every single day and I watch them during my lunch break. <laughs> um, so I personally think that 90s soaps were like the pinnacle. They've like nothing beats what they were like in the 90s. So I thought it would be a good opportunity to have a chat about what is going on at the moment. Um, so at the moment, so to put it into to some perspective, at this point in time, so in EastEnders, uh, and this was without that the golden age of EastEnders. So we are currently in November 1996. Uh, some of the hot topics in Albert Square at the moment, uh, Carol and Alan Jackson are going through a bit of a rough patch. Um, Alan has been tempted by a club singer called Frankie. He's having a bit of a fling with her. Carol is also being tempted by her ex-partner and the father of Bianca, David Wicks. Um, Phil and Kathy are married. They had Ben earlier this year. Uh, ben got meningitis and has been diagnosed with a hearing issue. And Phil Mitchell's drink problem has just started. Uh -huh. So for those of you, yeah, you know, this goes on for a long, long time. The genesis of how, the... is, he still, how is he still alive? Well, he's, I mean, it's because he's made up, Rob. So he's not a real person. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the, the genesis of Cold, was it Cold War? Phil, uh, yeah, Phil Mitchell. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, well, what are we up to? Right, so uh, Peggy Mitchell is running the Vic with Grant. Um, she's only been in it about a year or so. Tiffany is pregnant, but there's a question over who the father is, which brings us nicely on to Tiffany's brother, Simon, who has just got together with Tiffany's ex-boyfriend, Tony. So Tony's realised that he's gay, um, believes that Tiffany is carrying his baby, but has left her and got with her brother. So that's causing some issues. Uh, one of the episodes I watched yesterday, actually, Simon is looking for a job in the square because he wants to stick around. So asked Sanjay and Gita if he could help out on their market stall uh, and asked them if they would be okay with having a gay guy working on the, on the market stall. He just wanted to make them aware. Um, and Sanjay was like, oh, I don't know, like it might put people off from shopping. And Gita's like, what are you talking about? He's absolutely perfect for this job. So they've given him the job. Um, the biggest story, though, uh, is that Cindy Beale has just fled to Paris after paying to have her husband, Ian Beale, killed. Oh, we all remember this. Absolutely. So he was shot. He survived. Um, and this all came about as uh, so Cindy had been having an 18 month affair with David Wicks, which has played out in about two months because of the amount of episodes <laughs> we're watching. So, um, yeah, so, yeah, everyone knows this storyline and they always show the clip of Ian standing outside the chip shop and the car comes past and he gets shot and he collapses. Uh, but it's actually been quite interesting seeing the background of the story. Yeah. Because everyone's like, oh, Cindy's horrible. Oh, she's done all this. Like, she paid to have her husband killed. She was having an affair. But when watching the episodes back that lead up to him being shot, you see how badly Ian treated her. And actually, she was being manipulated into it, like David Wicks as well. David Wicks completely lost interest in her, and they were planning to run away together. And David used this whole thing of her paying to have Ian killed as an excuse to dump her, basically. <laughs> so she she really was manipulated. I mean, paying to have someone killed isn't the right thing to do, uh, but I, I can kind of see 
that there was a bit of method to her madness. Cindy is not the villain we all thought she was. Do you know what? Do you, know when he, do you know when um, Ian Bill fell when he dropped his chips? Did he say, oh, me chips, as they fell onto the floor? <laughs> and he did zoom no, in on the chips was... and they rolled around. The no, it was really weird. So it was, considering it's all been building up to this, it was quite an underwhelming moment. Like they, they step out of the chip shop and this car starts screeching towards them. And Cindy goes, Ian, watch out. And then you just hear, and he just falls to the ground. And then the camera, like, like the camera just zooms in on his eyes and his eyes are just staring still at the camera and it ends. And Pete, did you manage to get any correspondence from BBC? So I've got some correspondence here from a chap called Brendan who lives in County Cork. Um, and he wrote into EastEnders in October 1996. So he says, dear EastEnders, I hate Cindy Beale and I hate David Wicks. Those two scumbags deserve each other. But do you know who I hate even more? Ian Beale. <laughs> Walford's very own cardboard cutout yuppie. <laughs> Brendan goes on to say, I couldn't give a f about Cindy being happy with David. But when she finally arranged to have Ian bumped off, I cheered at the TV screen. Seeing that Volvo roar past and hearing that gunfire pop off, I cheered even louder. Seeing Ian's lifeless but sorry, seeing Ian's lifeless eyes staring into the camera as the duff duffs rang out brought a tear of joy to my eye. <laughs> the is finally dead, I thought to myself. But no. Your writers had other ideas, and no sooner had the blood started flowing from Ian's rancid body, he was sitting up in hospital in his hospital bed, running his business via his mobile phone which will never take off, by the way. They're too expensive, too cumbersome, and too intrusive. What I thought was putting us out of our misery by putting Ian Beale out of his has turned out to be a cruel joke at the viewer's expense, and I will never watch EastEnders again. That's brilliant. So, yeah, EastEnders lost the viewer. Thanks very much for that information. Um, You're very welcome. Great, great. No, we hope to have you back in future episodes. It was fantastic. And um, yeah, fine. If you if you want some like periodic updates of what's going on in Albert Square and Weatherfield, I'll be happy to feed back to you. <laughs> well, that's, that's brilliant. Well, thank you very much for that. And uh, Thanks, moving Pete. on to our observation of the week. Don't be so mean to your hair. Mm. I was sitting back early on today, and I was just thinking about my youth and how we were. We're trying to find our way in life and how we try to win approval from our peers and collect as many friends as possible just to feel popular. But as you get older, you, you learn that you kind of stop giving a crap about the, the amount, amount of friends that you have and more about the quality of these friendships and how you'd rather have a few good quality friends as opposed to plenty of friends you don't really engage with or interact with. So what I'm trying to establish is like, what sort of things, as probably as a kid, that you did to... Um, Know, to attempt to win friends or approval from other people maybe it could be something you've done yourself or you've witnessed and you know, did it work I I don't know I, I think I thought about it way too much when I was a kid like it, it got into my head and I think one of the best bits of advice I've, I've had as an adult is Jim not everyone has to like you which sounds really simple but like once you acknowledge that you're like yeah of course no, not everyone needs to like me why I don't need to please everyone that's quite a defining moment. But as a kid, you, do, you just want, you know, if someone doesn't like you, you wonder why and you kind of take it personally. Yeah, well, um, it's not nice being not liked, isn't it? You know, if someone says they don't like you for some reason, you think, well, what have I done to be hated so much or not liked so much? 
and as you're younger and you're younger and you're like you don't you, I suppose you can't process that information as much as what is you when you're older you know and you, you kind of gets to you more I think that you think yeah well Rob I like you know me and you grew up together and uh, you've always been popular you know you're a good you're a good looking boy and you know I know a lot of girls liked you and I knew a lot of girls spoke to me because they wanted to speak to you and it was it's cool you know you're, you're a funny guy and fun to be around so it's always great to have you around but what sort of things like you know what sort of things are you maybe witness in, a, in an attempt to you know win your approval or your friendship which you may like look back and think oh my god they were doing that you know just me like oh I tried I remember once uh, I, I tried to make these friends with these um BMX boys I did and um they were they, and they were like said to me like you know if you want to be like part of our little crew you have to jump there was do you remember them containers they had building sites the metal ones and they used to stack them on top of each other oh yeah like cargo containers yeah the cargo units they basically told me that I'd have to jump off three there was three at the top because me and Dave we lived in Bexton and and they said that you'd have to jump off there and you know landing your wheels and um and it to be a friend and I literally jumped off and I smashed my you, bike. You just saw me up, Rob. It sounds like something like the dirt bike kids. Or the no, sound a bit. Do you do you remember we we, we lived in Bexton? There was the old building site thing behind my house. Yeah, it was there. And I basically amazing. I basically come crashing down. I just jumped off. It wasn't amazing. I ain't like I done this massive ramp and jumped. I literally just let over and fell down. So I was like, and gravity took me. And I just smashed my bike up. And I didn't have a bike, and the kids just, they just kind of laughed at me and like kind of rode off and left me. <laughs> and my bike was smashed, and I cut my hand on glass and everything. And uh, and I, I remember just thinking, what did I do that for? I broke my bike. And my dad was un- unhappy about it and stuff like that. And I didn't have no bike after that. And I had to borrow a bike off my friend called Nicky, who lived down the road to me. And he gave me up. He lent me his Airwolf bike. <laughs> do, 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 do. Yeah. I've got a brilliant story about that, but that would be too long for now. <laughs> so how about you jim i, d- I don't uh, i was a weird kid man like i was like this is gonna sound like a boast it's not i was a smart kid i was like a very smart kid but i think when you're smart like in terms of like intelligence and academia but not emotionally smart it's a hard thing to balance so you you you've, you have quite sort of deep thoughts about things but you don't have the emotional intelligence to know how to cope with them so i think maybe i was like quite intense at times which put people off wanting to be friends with me and then i try and make up for it but then i try and make up for it by trying too hard to be funny and you know sometimes it's just when you're trying too hard it doesn't land well and sometimes you just put your foot in your mouth and you want the whole world to just swallow you up i think that just like defines my childhood trying to like be smart but at the same time hide my smartness and try and cover it up with humor um to get approval yeah uh, same, it's something that happened with me as well when I was at school we had two different football teams and there was an A and a B team and um, I always got put into the B team and I always felt really bad about it because I was actually quite a good goalkeeper but because they, they was quite clicky they never picked me for that team and I always and I always thought I was a really bad player because of it but a lot of people used to say to me you should have been in the A team sometimes and I was like oh okay but, but what they actually meant was that you'd make a really good BA Baracus <laughs> 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 I used to, I could make anything at my at my shed, so it'd been perfect. So, so what what do you think changed in you to like you know stop wanting that approval from you know your peers as a as a child? I suppose it's when you find your core your core friends. I suppose isn't it? You kind of grow up and you kind of you get your core friends. You know who they are, and you kind of you get set with that kind of I suppose a little bit, and you know there's kind of like a bit of an outline for something you can move on. I suppose you mature as well, so you know things don't 
you know count so much anymore surely uh, for me it's more about like understanding that the dynamic of friendship can change so you know i think us us guys and a lot of our friends have always been quite close but as we've got older think you know things change so people move away uh people get married and have kids and it changes the dynamic of your friendship and i think you just need to learn that being a, a, a mate of someone doesn't mean you have to be in their pocket 24 7 doesn't mean you need to know every single thing that goes on in their life and i know that you know i've you know you guys are still in a, a whatsapp group with most of our friends and I've, i dropped out of that and the reason i did that is that i feel like i appreciate your friendship a lot more because when i speak to you we've got things to catch up on like i don't know what's happened in your lives on a day-to-day basis so we can catch up and i think that's part of it, is just finding out for you how how you know how relationships can be managed in a mature way it's like you know you can say to your friends oh, i don't have time right now to to hang out but i really i still really want to spend time with you and actually it's not even having to say that good friendship is not having to explain when you are available when you're not it's the ability to not see someone for ages and then just pick up as if nothing's happened because you know innate innate within you both is is like that 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 core thing that brings you together so, so I guess it's like look, the, the quality and the quantity of time you spend with someone. Or Absolutely, yeah. Happen. Obviously, there are people in our lives who you know, you know, don't see around anymore. You may have considered close friends years ago, but you know, just circumstances have it that you just don't speak. Um, so, what I want to know was it like how was it a conscious act to shift away from certain people, or was it more like you mentioned earlier on a gradual shift in the priorities? and just basically not getting back to others depends what changes isn't it i think sometimes um you've got (laughs) life changes you and life changes other people and sometimes they're little changes but they're enough to tip you both in different directions so you know if if you've got a friend who is slightly more kind of right wing and you're slightly left wing you can get on but if you know over time you become a bit more socially conscious and they become a bit more uh, know, uh then 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 you get to the point where actually your um your morals and your ethics and the level of things you're willing to tolerate and accept are so out of kilter that you can't you can't be friends with those people and it's not a case of like you have like a breakup or you, you stop you know you're mean to each other it's just that's where the up. drift starts to happen because you're like well i don't you know so for instance someone from my past who was a very good friend went the other way and became <clears throat> like a ukip supporter and very very loud about things like immigration and 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 gay rights and things like that even though i'm a gay person myself and i'm like well naturally i'm not going to want to spend time with that person so that relationship kind of disappeared whereas other people like rob moved away you know he lives a long long way away we don't see each other very often but when we do see each other it's like it's like we haven't been apart it's just like you know i saw him yesterday I think that that's 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 the, the kind of difference, isn't it, between friendships that sustain and ones it's that because change. I'm a simple bean as well, and I just go hello, Jim, and I give you a cuddle and I embrace you in my bosom. <laughs> that helps too. <laughs> yeah. That definitely gives me comfort, that's for sure. <laughs> what about you, Dave? Has has it changed for you? Well, like you said, you know, I I became a father in my mid mid twenties, and you know, you don't have time to spend with um, people who you love as much as you know. As your family, and, and that's okay. It's, you know, people the understand. People don't love. Sorry, <laughs> you know if you love or don't. <laughs> and um, you know, obviously, priority, like you said, like you said, Jim, priorities change, and you know, 
and it, it feels a lot harder these days to get together because obviously the older you get, the more you know, more priorities you get, and, and your friends get priorities as well. And it's not going to it's not going to be until like all your kids move out, then you want to you have the free time again to actually spend time with your friends. It's cash as well sometimes. It's cash, cash, it rules everything around me. Yeah, I find time is a big one because I, I manage my day like to to the nth degree in many regards like i've got my you know i get up super early and i go for my walk on my run then i have my breakfast time then i have my shower time then i have work all day and in the middle of that i fit in lunch then in the evening it's my evening walk then we've got some like dinner time tv time you're like well when life and this is just like lockdown by the way think, like, when life goes back to normal how do i then start to carve out time to spend with other people because i really want to like, i really and it's one of the things i've definitely learned from lockdown is i want to make more of an effort for people who are willing to make an effort for me yeah and actually spend time with them like you know dave we don't live that far away really it'd be so easy for us to go do you know what? this night on this week we're just going to go and hang out but we don't ever do that do we well we rarely no. do that and, and i want to make that i want to make that change after lockdown and actually make that effort make that change make a change make that change you <laughs> feel real good <laughs> come on <laughs> i know you can't see me but i'm moonwalking Woo. <laughs> actually um you know do you remember um rob you'll you'll, you'll remember uh, the singer of life of agony because you said that uh they sound like they're falling down a well um, yeah she's now done a cover of, well actually a few years ago of man in the mirror and it's actually really good i think you might like and it. does she still sound like she's falling down a well no <laughs> <laughs> okay so moving on um next after this break we'll get on with our um game It'd be a bit of fun. There's a magical place we're on our way there with toys in the millions all under one roof. It's called Toys of Us. Early this week, I challenged Jim and Rob to come up with a sequel for the 1990 movie Pretty Woman. The film which inspired hordes of women to pursue their lifelong ambition of moving to LA and take up prostitution in hopes of finding a rich Mr. Wright. Walter Simple. Yeah, to be set seven years after the original movie. It has to remain true to the feel of the movie so it can't suddenly become a zombie film or set in the Congo. And we base upon a, a five core plot points. With that said, Jim, you go first. What's the name of your movie? What's your first plot point, please? So my movie sequel is the very inspired Pretty Woman 2. Right, so it's Pretty Woman 2. I'm keeping it classic. I'm not going any further than that. If you remember the original... In the opening scene, there was like a rich people's party. There was champagne flowing. There was a roulette wheel. There was like um, money changing hands. It's all very high society. And in this sequel's opening scene, it's a parallel, except it's a much more somber affair. It's a wake. As the camera pans around, you soon realize whose wake it is. As into shot comes a huge framed photo of Richard Gere. <gasps> Edward has died. The camera then focuses on a pair of black heels. It pans up. We have black stockings, a black dress, and a black veil. It's Vivian. She lifts the veil back and dabs at her eye to wipe away a tear as she speaks to two guests who are paying their condolences. The camera then pans across, seeing Vivian's eye line. We see what she sees. Amongst the mourners, she stops and her eyes fix on two men. The first is David Morse, the grandson and heir of David Morse, 
sorry, the first is James Morse. <laughs> I just said David <laughs> twice, didn't I? First is James Morse, grandson and heir of David Morse, whose company Edward spared in the first movie, and he helped to save it rather than buying it, breaking it apart and selling it for profit. The second is Edward's former best friend and business associate, Philip Stuckey. The men are stood at the back of the room, away from the other guests, and seem to be speaking in hushed tones. That's my first point. Okay. Do you know what? That's mysterious. As, as, I'm as intrigued. If I if I put that on, it, it'd grab my attention. I love it. Would. Would. I want to know what's happening next. Or you know, oh, so would I. Yeah. So Rob, that's um, that's a lot to you know live up to. So name me a movie and the first opening plot point. Please. I honestly didn't know we were doing it in two different sections. I'm quite excited about this now. So I wasn't going to tell you the title of my film first because it was going to be at the end, but it's going to be because it kind of spoils the film for me. Well, keep keep it back if you if it's yeah. Can I keep better. it back? Can I keep it back? Yeah, go for it. Um, yeah. So basically, it fades in. You've got Edward and V are with each other for a number of years now. Obviously, the seven years we've been talking about. Um, Edward Jobs, Edward's jobs become too much for him. He's putting pressure on their relationship. So he turns to the devil's sniff, Coke. He's um, <laughs> he, <laughs> he's um, he's basically. He's an absolute nightmare. He's out every night drinking and V's all over the place, doesn't know where he is with worry. So they decide to they decide for him to quit his job and to open up a store selling squared goods only, from squared burgers to square slices to cheese. Um, this is a this is a, a, a dream they've been having for years. <laughs> that is the, my first point, my first part. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I can't wait to hear the rest. Right, <laughs> right. Based upon, <laughs> based upon the whole um, concept and the feel of the, the, the original movie, I'm gonna have to give the point to uh, Jim. Yes. No, well, I, I do love. I do love the square. Do you guys? Do you guys basically? Do you guys know that the original film, the actual original idea, Richard Gere was a drug addict in it? And they change it at the last moment, and I'm going from the original idea. Ooh, well, well, what I want then, Rob, was an original idea rather than stolen ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so who's doing their second plot point first? It's gonna be Rob. Well, I you suppose because I lost, it's me, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So one day Edward is stacking the shelves, and you notice it that someone's cutting the corners off the products of the, in the store. This makes him feel very <laughs> uneasy and fills him with rage. He turns to drugs again, finding a little um, stash of coke hidden in the corner of the shop. V, P, v decides to take action and puts Edward into rehab to help him get clean. She goes home to the store. After a few months, she has to close the doors after people, after realising people do not squared products. She doesn't understand this because she's done lots and lots of research into this. Um, so she's, she makes the big choice to start walking the streets again to make ends meet no pun intended that's it <laughs> oh man i feel like i took this way too seriously yours is much better no, oh, okay okay so mine put in second point vivian finds out that edward has left her control of his company she's unsure that she's the right person for the job but after a pep talk from her friend kit deluca who thanks to vivian and edward had set up her own successful salon as a thriving businesswoman, Vivian has made her decision to take the reins. However, in her first board meeting, she discovers there's a plot against her. 
James Morse, who is on the board of Edwards Company, announces to Vivian that the board have had a discussion and have decided they don't have confidence in her. A hostile takeover is underway. And as James introduces his new senior advisor to the room, Phil Stuckey, all becomes clear. This is personal. Oh, oh. Intrigue. Sorry, Rob. Yeah. You've won the hearts of the people. Right, but I think Jim's going to be winning this. <laughs> Wait till I get to the end where the zombies come out. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't mind. I like Jim's one as well. Okay, so going to point three? Point three, please. I'll start again, I suppose, because I lost again. No, oh, no, no. You... No? No, I don't mind. Whatever no, no, no. What's that? So Jim goes next, yeah? Jim goes next. Sorry. Okay, cool. So we're just going to alternate back and forth. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, part three. Vivian is driving back from the board meeting in tears. She's lost her husband and now this. To make matters worse, a tyre blows. And of all places, it's whilst driving through her old neighbourhood. A rich woman on her own in a flash car in that area. She feels intimidated and scared. She bursts into tears, hunched over the steering wheel. There's a sudden knock at the window and she looks up to see a young man. She's scared at first, but he soon encourages her to wind down the window. He introduces himself as Jamal and offers to change the tyre for her. Vivian is suspicious, but she has no other choice. Her cell battery's flat and she's out of options. Jamal is kind and softly spoken and changes the tyre for her. He says she seems rather upset about the lone tyre and she breaks down, telling him everything. She's clearly too upset to drive home, so he offers to drive for her, which she agrees. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the mindset. Well, I already know I'm losing this, so I'm going to go balls to the wall now. Well, well Rob, it's, it's right now, it's, you know, you're losing 2-0. However, there's three points at play. Yep. Okay. So, obviously, we ended with um, V walking the streets. So, V is feeling down. She's walking home, and she's feeling, she's feeling older, and she realises now that her clients are looking more like John Goodman than Richard Gere. <laughs> <laughs> he walks Sorry. up to her house she realizes that she can see a shadow she opens the door and in the corner of the ha- in the house is her old pimp waiting for her in the shadows he says i've got you now <laughs> you're all mine again and there's no one around to save you and bring you save you this time bring your sweet ass here baby he <laughs> screams no cuts the black that's it. Right. Rob, you've got his third point. Sorry, Jim. Alright. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> I've got you now. <laughs> Back to you, Rob. Oh, um, part four. Okay, ready? Yeah. Cuts the screen. Suddenly, the window smashes. Barney jumps through the window, through V's window, and stabs the pimp in the neck with a salad fork. V embraces Barney, bringing him to his chest. Barney says, the work's not overdone yet, V. We need to get rid of the body, baby. Uh, the body, sorry. Uh, v has an idea. That's it, for the time being. Okay. So, Who's Barney? Barney's the dude who helps with the salad fork in the first Pretty Woman. <laughs> oh, the guy, that's brilliant. <laughs> the guy from the hotel. Yeah. Oh man, I, I toyed. He's been watching out for her the whole time. I like that. I, I toyed with, in, with including him, but I didn't in the end. And okay. you guys realise he, he stabbed him with a salad fork as well. Which yeah, is no, I love it. <laughs> uh, okay, part four. When they arrive, 
back at home, Vivian invites Jamal in. She pours a large drink and they talk about what's happened. As the hours pass and the drinks flow, lost in high emotion, Vivian makes a pass at Jamal. He pulls back and says no, and she feels humiliated and rejected and starts babbling and freaking out. She's emotional, she's mourning, and all she wanted was someone to hold her. Jamal tells her she's beautiful and he's flattered, but he's gay. We then hear from about Jamal's backstory, who grew up in a poor neighbourhood but worked hard and was top of his class. He managed to get a scholarship to Berkeley, or is it Berkeley? I don't know how it's pronounced. Tragically, he had to leave after the second year as his mum became sick and he had to move home to work and support her. Vivian asked him if there's anything he'd learned in business school that could help her. Jamal then dazzles Vivian with his knowledge and ideas to help her, and here the deal is struck. Vivian offers Jamal $10,000 a day to work with her to help come up with a plan to save Edward's business from James and Stucky. Stucky. Oh, that was good. I, I, I like I like both of you, both, you both sharing the points. I love uh, Rob's reference to the old you know, Barney in, from the first movie. That, that was a great call. That was a really good call. And I totally forgot to tell you the pimp was Eric Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> I actually wrote down in the game, Eric Roberts. <laughs> um, okay, so is it back to me to finish it? Yeah. Okay. This is it, right? So leading up to the big showdown with the board, Vivian takes Jamal for a makeover. You know what's coming. Vivian gets Vivian takes Jamal for a makeover to get business suits and all that kind of jazz. They're walking along Rodeo Drive with people in tow carrying bags and boxes, and Jamal's about to walk up to a store, and the two clerks look up wide-eyed, clear this clearly wealthy entourage approaching. Vivian approaches the window, lowers her sunglasses and sees it's those two bitches from the first movie who refuse to serve her. She <laughs> shakes her head at Jamal and they move on. <laughs> in the final scene, there's a showdown with James and Stucky in the boardroom with Jamal at Vivian's side as her senior advisor. Stucky mocks Vivian for bringing a child into the boardroom and makes several cutting remarks about Jamal. Vivian's smiling throughout. She knows what's coming. One of the board asks to hear her ideas. Clearly the rest of the board feel bullied by James and Stucky. This is Vivian's chance. She unleashes Jamal, who stuns the board with a multi-year business plan and proposals that will see profit margins soar, whilst also being ethical and improving the company's public standing. There's silence in the room. Then, suddenly, one board member starts clapping and rises to his feet. He's soon joined by all the others. Stucky protests, but there's a unanimous vote of confidence in Vivian. James dismisses Stucky and pleads for Vivian for her forgiveness. She sees through his weasel ways and fires him on the spot. Jamal thinks it's over and thanks Vivian for the money as it will really help his mum and maybe now he can go back to Berkeley. Vivian asks him if he's sure he wouldn't rather have James's job. The opening chords of Pretty Woman start to play. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I love it. I listen to it. It's, real, it's like a real film to me. It's brilliant. <laughs> Like I said, I think I took it too seriously. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I'd watch it and I'd probably cry at the end. So let's, Sorry, let's see if you cry at the end when we talk, when we have your third, uh, fifth and final plot point, Rob. Right, so don't forget that they it ended with, um, obviously, V in Barney's arms. And it, he said the work's not over and they have to get rid of the body. And V says, yeah. I have an idea. Then it cuts to a few days later and um, V has opened up the, the squared store again. Um, it's open and Barney's working there. And um, oh, I know what's coming. And, 
and it's imagine it's all like it's all light outside and then all people were in there and that stuff and their business is doing really well and they're selling loads and loads of square meat and um it's all going really well and then it happens the credits happen but you think oh it's the end but then you hear chants of edward 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 then you cuts in to see edward walking out of rehab and all the people are along the side of him chanting because he's clean now um and the car skids up and it's v in the car and to pick up edward edward jumps into the car and screams i'm clean baby <laughs> v hands him a square sandwich and winks at the camera and it ends there and it's called and the title comes up pretty woman 2 a pimp's revenge ding 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 <laughs> Vini todd yeah there you go that's mine well, oh, thank man. you very much for those contributions, boys. And when I actually ran this uh, idea past Amanda, she actually came up with a really good plot point, which I just want to read through really quickly. Um, basically, Julie Roberts became a, she becomes a, a lady of leisure. Uh, she's enjoying life as an entrepreneur's wife for a period of time, like staying in fancy hotels. But then she becomes bored and starts thinking of business ideas. And she suddenly she decides, you know, I want to go back to what I know. So she starts up a ho- her own um, higher class escort agency. Richard Gear hates wow. the idea and they argue about it, but she does it anyway. But so she becomes really successful and networking via his contacts. He actually falls in love with one of her workers and they split up. And what happens is that she ends up back on the streets working on the, working on the game. That's really dark, man. Know, she basically, <laughs> in mine, opens her own store and becomes a successful business lady. As a high class escort agency, yeah. Yeah, but in mind, she opens a squared meat product place. It's open, <laughs> squared sandwiches, anything squared is pretty good. <laughs> squared roots. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm sorry, Rob, I'm going to have to apologise, mate. While, while your idea was fantastic and unique, should we say, I would have to go with uh, Jim. I think Jim's won this week. I'm an outrage. I'm an outrage. Can you imagine the end when it cuts to black and you hear the... <laughs> And he just walks out with his sunglasses on like that. And he's like, you know, obviously a bit skinnier now, a bit more, you know, he's got his teeth look a bit clean now when he's off the drugs and stuff. Well, Rob, if you want to square up to me, you know, square up. Square up to me. <laughs> Wait, mate, we've got, we've got a lovely um, meat press in our uh, shop, so. So, hang on, that puts me top of the table then on three points. It does. Yeah. yeah. It does. Yeah, boy. Page um, one, one, one. And any anyone who's listening to this, if you want to email, message in and say who whose idea you thought was better, um, obviously that's kind of clear because if it comes towards me, we don't realise David hasn't got right of mind at the moment. Can we just say, <laughs> however, the point system was clear. It had to be um, like, remain true to the original feel of the movie. It's massively true. <laughs> <laughs> he had a really, really high pressurised job. It all, everyone turns to drugs and them kind of jobs. And she helps him out because he helps her out off the streets. You don't understand the deeper meaning in the story, though. <laughs> he becomes the most powerful Apparently. person of everyone. Well, you know what? If Touchstone Pictures hear this, they want to get in touch. You know what I mean? Yeah, mate. Uh, Julie Roberts, I reckon, be up for it as well. She loves winking at cameras. <laughs> anyway, listeners, that's all we have time for today. Um, Jim, where can people find you if they want to get in touch? Uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter under um, at Beef and Teeth. And Rob? And I'm on Twitter at Zombish. So just check me no, out. No, you're ex-Zombish X. Ex-Zombish X. I don't want people to find me. <laughs> Face it. No, I'm joking. You can ex-Zombish X. But um, maybe, we should, maybe we should create 
our own little handle as well so people can yeah keep an eye out and see if you can find at dial up dudes i mean it may not already exist now i may not be able to get it but after this episode's recorded i'm probably going to try and get it yeah good stuff and i'm dave and you can catch me outside until next time walking down the street Open up the store of squared meats. That's staying in. That's staying in. Open up the store of squared meats.